I was preparing a workshop on compassion fatigue. And as I looked at the symptoms, which is a, a version of burnout, but it's, it's more in the people helping professions. As I looked at those symptoms of compassion fatigue, I was like, this is me. This is me and I need to do something about it. So, And whatever community looks like for you, you can't be truly self-aware without the feedback from others. And you need to have those people around you that you can trust and that you can walk alongside with. And maybe it looks like... Recognizing it's not all about me and it's not all about my individual purpose as well. It's, it's a... We are in this together. I need to lean on people. I actually need to ask people for help. Because in reality, all the best things I've done in my life, I've done with people, not on my own. Welcome, Helen. Thanks, Luke. And (laughs) I'd love to introduce you guys. I've been really excited for this. And I'd like to introduce all you wonderful Durban peeps to my good friend, Helen Room. Maybe you can take the next few minutes just to introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about what you do and we can go from there. Thanks, Luke. It's awesome to be with you. Uh, I think we've wanted to do this for a while. And it's actually been a great sort of exercise and reflection for me because in leading up to it and knowing the the kind of conversation you want to have, it's been a chance for me to kind of look back over my career, my life story and go, hey, you know, how did I get here? Mm. Um, So I'm an occupational therapist. I have worked as an occupational therapist for over 25 years, currently in independent practice here in in the Kloof area, mostly online. And working with people uh, with persistent pain and fatigue is really my scope of practice. So that's where I'm at right now, yeah. That's cool. So you wouldn't strictly say that you're a small business because I know in the medical field you can't really... How, how does that work? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, um, uh, yeah, I, I would call myself a practice, mm-hmm. not a small business. But in many senses, business principles need to come into it. I mean, this needs to be sustainable. But I, I think some of the constraints on us as healthcare practitioners are really about um, ethical issues, these certain ways that we can and can't market ourselves. Um, I think at the end of the day, what it is for healthcare practitioners is really that we are not selling a product, although that might be part of some people's practices, I guess, but it's it's more like we are selling ourselves. You know, I am what I am offering people. Mm-hmm. It's this package of knowledge, skills, experience. This is what I'm, um, I'm marketing to people. And um, I, I have to be quite um, sober and, and cautious about how I, how I handle people. My, these are my clients. These are people I'm offering a service to. But it's not quite the same as a business where I'm, uh, I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, profits and, and how I'm marketing. So, so it's a little different from a business. But I think over time, as, as practitioners, we've had to be a little bit more aware of how do we how do we sustain ourselves in in a competitive um, market? I guess in a competitive field, anyway. Mm. Um, but I would I would say strictly, I'm, I'm a practitioner with a practice, offering myself to people who yeah. who need help. So you still, I mean, you still are building a brand, but it's totally. more personal brand than a corporate brand or a. But it's still totally. branding. The principles totally. are the same. Yeah. And I think in some ways it's probably 
the healthier way of of doing of doing branding and marketing is on a personal level, Definitely. person to person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the only difference is that you're not necessarily branding and or marketing yourself to like a business to business. You're doing yeah. business to consumer. Yeah. But they're not really consumers because they're patients, and or are they patients? Well, yes. actually, uh, so we've moved quite a lot away from from talking about people as patients because that's quite okay. a passive term and definitely we're now more in that that um, sort of space of saying we are offering a service to clients but really in pain management we also focus much more on, on the person so this is not a patient I'm seeing this is a person coming mm. to me and this is a partnership we're creating awesome. together but yeah I I would guess that anyone in business, um, although you might be selling a product, at the end of the day, it is you that people are trusting. And I would hope that no one gets too far removed from their product that they think that they are just, you know, selling a product Mm. to someone. It's actually you and it is that personal connection at the end of the day, regardless of your business. Hey, so um, it's important that we are building trust and that we are... um, yeah, we were aware that it is us behind the product that we're selling. Yeah, which which the principles. Yeah, again, it, it boils down. I think especially on a small business level, you do you do do that. I guess it depends on what you're selling and what your business is built around. But in my case, you know, I sell I basically sell video production services and services for podcasters. But I'm not just selling that, I'm mm. selling myself. Yeah, it's, it's Luke that people are going yeah, to. It's, it's yeah, it's me. So yeah. it's, That's I go trust. to a doctor because I like the doctor yeah. and, and the doctor practices medicine well. Right. I don't just go to a doctor because that's the function he serves. Right, right. Yeah, totally. It's, it's competency yeah. plus that trust yeah. and that sort of personal factor. Have you yeah. seen or noticed a movement more towards that kind of interaction in the business and maybe even in the practice world where people are coming to you more for who you are and what you do rather than just what you do and what you know the function Mm, that you mm, mm. totally um i think that's partly relevant for me as an occupational therapist which is a um, health profession less well understood i guess so um often people are coming to me by word of mouth which i think is is usually the best way that that we grow in our business or practice. Um, And they're coming to me because they've heard of me. And then they they sort of find out I'm an occupational therapist. And they're like, what do OTs have to do with adults, first of all, and pain? Um, So what I'm saying is, yeah, I think it's definitely they've heard of Helen and they're coming to me. And um, I think that's really important in this day and age where we've got all sorts of influences out there. So, you know, on Insta, on, on various social media, we've got anybody advising people on their health yeah. and, and life. Yeah. Um, and, and because they've got a million followers, they are, they are sort of trusted. And I, and I think in the health profession world, there is a growing concern as to where is the value of expertise I, I totally value people's lived experience. I think I think people can be experts by experience, but it's it's that whole balance of um, yeah, where is the expert input from a from a sort of a knowledge base? Where is the um, expertise from experience? 
So I think for me as a person, yes, it's about um, hopefully coming to me, not just because I have expertise in terms of knowledge and studying and, and all of that, but also because I am a, an empathetic person or I am someone who appreciates the lived experience of someone. So mm. it's all of those qualities, um, I think, wrapped up together that that make you maybe a trustworthy person or someone someone to come to. I think that lived experiencing is is really important because mm. I mean I've seen you know these eighteen year old influencers giving everybody life advice and it's like <laughs> you haven't like lived. you've hardly lived exactly yeah yeah and that whole thing of I mentioned it in a couple of episodes ago with uh, Debbie from Deaf Kids International we were talking mm. a little bit about finding your purpose as we alluded to it like. Can you really find your purpose as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old mm, mm, and mm, get to mm. you know, my age where I'm bordering almost 40? I'm thinking... Hello, 50. Yes. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's kind of like you, 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 you can't really find your purpose as a young 20-year-old 20, 20 because, mm, I mean, maybe, mm, but you don't have any reference to life. You don't have... Yeah, what are your thoughts mm, on that? Mm, totally. This is one of the things I was reflecting on in, in coming here today was just, like I said, how did I get here? And what have been the mix of things that have got me here? Because I think that's the reality, mm-hmm. is that it, there's multiple things that come together. So, so purpose for me is not a static thing that is out there that I then strive towards and, oh, yeah, I reached it and now I'm living my purpose. Um It's more like, um, so I've used this phrase before, sometimes you live the dream and sometimes the dream lives you. Yes. And I think we can use that with the word purpose. So I have found that I have discovered my purpose along the way, but it it evolves and and it it, it comes through different vehicles. Mm. But um, yes, I can probably now, closer to the age of 50, articulate more what my sense of purpose is. But I hope it is evolving. Like, I hope this isn't it, you know. I hope this isn't static. So, for me, purpose comes together with a mix of decisions I've made and been sort of maybe quite disciplined and and goal-directed with, plus um, what we could call serendipity or or um, faith. I'm a person of faith, so I believe there are influences beyond me that that come into yeah. my life plus people and their needs so so I feel like purpose is this real mix sometimes messy yeah. of these multiple things coming together and and if anyone at the age of 20 said to me I found my purpose I would say great I mean I think you might have found some of it but don't hold on too tightly to that or don't yeah. you know don't don't package that maybe you that. found a passion yeah not a, not a, yeah. your purpose. Yeah. yeah, and and let you know, just let this evolve. Just let the dream uh, emerge still, mm. because you're probably not there. And in any case, is purpose our driving force? I don't know. It's Might be question. one of the things. It's a good question. But are we meant to be a purpose-driven people? <laughs> now I'm asking you the questions, Lee. No, but that's yeah. good. I think. <laughs> I've got opinions on that, sure. but I, th- I think it it might be wrapped up in your belief systems too. Sure. Yeah. So as you get older and you 
get more life experience, your belief systems change. Mm. So very young, you're very young and purpose driven mm. when we're mm. in a, you know, those stages of life. Right. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about it too. You have yeah. your stages of life and you're young and you're passionate and you're finding a sense of purpose and you think you find your purpose and you just give everything into that thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then you mm-hmm. get to your thirties and you have kids and all right. these things start unraveling right. and what mm. you think was your purpose and what you think you believed and what you think you know you knew mm, exactly you, you don't yeah you, and i think your belief so your I, I think your belief system changes as you get older i should hope it does I, to I, some extent i think it's a healthy thing yeah. yeah it's a really healthy thing so kind of what you're describing there is exactly that's that what i'm saying in terms of your purpose is shaped a little bit by also your context so yeah, you're talking time. about those early days when you actually, yeah, so you're studying a degree towards a specific career you've thought of. And so your purpose then seems to be a lot about your work, right? And, mm. and what career and how am I studying towards that? Whereas like you say, you hit your uh, stage when maybe you're thinking of family and then it becomes more about connection and relationships. And that starts to feed into purpose. Yeah. So probably where I'm at now with, with two uh, so a, a, a daughter of 20, a son of 17, I'm starting to move into that phase where it's about, yeah, it's about these relationships with my adult children. It's about relationships and networking with others. It's about more big picture stuff mm. than when I was a young 20-something-year-old therapist and it was about the career path. Yeah. So both both are important. So I think purpose-driven, yes, maybe not driven so much. I'm not so much into the drivenness, but purposeful, but yeah. maybe connection-motivated um, yeah. or love-motivated or, yeah, mm, just bringing, bringing in that relationship side, you know, yeah. recognizing it's not all about me. And it's not all about my individual purpose as well. Yeah. It's it's a we are in this together. Have you mm. found that you know working as an OT, you're working with people all the time? Yeah. So have you found that you in any way have lost your sense of purpose working where you, when you continuously giving out to people? Mm-hmm. And helping them with mm. their stuff because I know you know you you practice in OT, but I know that you do far more than that. I know mm. you've mm. Um, delved into personal development, and mm. there's mm. a bit of a psychological side to it, and it's been so knowing your, what you do and who Helen is. Mm. Have you ever found that you've kind of you sense you've lost maybe lost your way a bit, or just purely by giving out all the time? And yeah. if yeah. so, how did yeah. you, yeah. What, what have you Come done? Come back from yeah. that, yeah. Um, I have, and, and probably more than once. Um, and I think it is a potential challenge of a people-helping profession like this. So yes, OTs, uh, my day is filled with people and with listening to, at this stage with the work I do now, listening to people's stories of suffering. And although I have been equipped with certain skills, boundaries, all of these important skills, um, for example, end of last year, I did reach a point where I, funny enough, I was I was preparing a workshop on compassion fatigue for a group of teachers, 
And as I looked at the symptoms of compassion fatigue, which is a, a version of burnout, but it's, it's more in the people helping professions. As I looked at those symptoms of compassion fatigue, I was like, this Oops. is me. Yeah. This is me, and I need to do something about it. So, so I made some decisions. So end of last year, I, I felt that I did burnout or, or have compassion fatigue, and it it got me to first of all take a time out to to rest. But I I, I knew that taking a big chunk of time to rest is not something sustainable. We we can't just every couple of months yeah. take a whole month off and rest. It would be amazing. I'd love it, but uh, you know my life needed to change, and and so I I had to intentionally uh, look at ways of again I, I put it in three words: one, lean on people, lean on God as a person of faith, lean on my spiritual life, lean on people because whether it's just personality or, or a trauma response. I'm a very independent person. I, I seldom ask for help. I often don't think I need it. <laughs> so I had to um, reflect on that again and go, hey, I need to lean on people. I actually need to ask people for help. Because in reality, all the best things I've done in my life, I've done with people, not on my own. Yeah. So just, so, so just re-committing um, myself, I suppose, to leaning um, then the, the second thing that came to me was was lifting people as I go. Um, and what I mean by that is the way I'm trying to work with with people in pain or with fatigue is not as the expert giving advice or, or sort of um, some kind of a top-down approach or um, let me tell you, but really that thing of partnership and actually I'm just here to support you and to draw out of you you, the resources you have and Mm. so lifting people I think helps us because we're not carrying this load for them we are lifting with us and we are we're saying hey um how do we do it together um and that's a burden then that I take off myself as 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 a healthcare professional and the last thing that I that I took away from that experience was to live what I preach. (laughs) So I've tried to be good at that over the years. You know, OTs, we are all about balance. We're all about, um, yeah, just just helping people to to live healthy, balanced lives. And we are sometimes the most imbalanced. And I had to relook at my own daily uh, habits, my own health, um, my social connections, all of that, and say, okay, I need to be living this myself. And in what ways aren't I? So that was a important, I think, renewal in a way for me end of last year, and I've 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 tried to bring that forward into this year. That's awesome. And is that I'm trying to remember, but is that when you started writing? Or writing on my your next project? Book. Yes. Right. Actually, that started in twenty. Let me just think now, 2021, end of 2021. So that's been an 18-month process of of writing a book. Um, And I've brought it with me to to show. Please show us. So this is the book I've written for people living with persistent pain. It's your pain playbook. Um, So as I said, started that in 2021. um, Really because my, my passion, my intention is to 
help people to manage for themselves, mm. um, to support them in managing their chronic condition. Okay. Um, so that's been an 18-month process just recently published on yes, Amazon. Very so exciting. It's available on all Amazon marketplaces. And then I have hard or paperback copies yeah. um, for uh, South Africans to order from me. And f- that would be for people that are mani- that are struggling with pain with conditions like fibromyalgia, right, and right. yeah, what else? Uh, chronic low back pain, okay. your arthritic conditions. So, my work is with people who have had pain for more than three months, and it's a pain that has become um, more difficult to make sense of. It's it's a pain that's spread. So we look at chronic pain, we call it, or persistent pain. It's it's kind of a condition on its by itself. It becomes its own beast in a way mm. um, that people live with. So often the the people I'm working with have had pain for many many years. Yeah. Um, it comes with some other symptoms as well. But yes, fibromyalgia, chronic low back pain is chronic low back pain is the most common. Condition in the world, but we know the stats globally, even here in South Africa as well, are that one in five people live with chronic pain. Uh, one in five. On a year-to-year basis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and chronic is it just from like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. assuming not just from heavy lifting and not lifting stuff properly. It's probably linked yeah. to the psychological. Right. Right. So that's that's part of the understanding we've gained okay. about pain in in the last few decades is that. Pain, especially the kind of persistent pain that we're talking about, um, is not as closely linked to the body as we used to think. It's not as simple as an injury in the body equals pain, that there are these other factors that come into it. So so it does start to become quite complex, and, and there might be physical, psychological, and even those kind of social contextual factors that add mm. up to pain. So here in our South African context... Um, being a very traumatized nation, being an impoverished nation, um, there are many sort of quite big social factors, contextual factors, environmental factors that might add into pain. So yeah, it's not as simple as, oh hey, you you fractured a bone, yeah. your pain makes total sense. It does for that kind of injury, but we're talking about people who've had pain for ten years. There's nothing in their body that isn't healed or, or, or okay, mm. but it is it is these other systems in the body that are. It's very interesting. On the high alert and are, are causing pain. So yeah. is that, could that be those kinds of things? Be high stress levels. Yeah. Um, which could that itself could be a myriad of your right. work environment, your family environment, your. Yeah. So your context. Yeah, right. So it's not necessarily just an injury. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So something might start with an injury, but most physical injuries are healed by about three months. That's okay. why we use that kind of time criteria. It's, it's not the only thing we look at, but most things in your body sort themselves out within about a three-month mm. period. If pain continues after that, we've got to go, why? What, what's mm. going on there? And that's when we need to look at, hey, um, Firstly, what's your history? So with my work with fibromyalgia, it's quite a, a big area of interest for me. We commonly see 
um, many adverse childhood experiences, we call them. So that's abuse. Um, it could be just experiencing a, a um, parent who's a, who's a substance abuser, whatever. Um, childhood things, chronic stress, yeah, um, various factors that come in that have all sort of almost stacked up. And now with some kind of recent trigger, those things that stacked up come into play. Yeah. And they start to allow this perpetuation of pain. Is yeah. it that whole thing of your body remembers? Totally. Yeah. There's that great name. book, um, The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. Uh, by Bezel van der Kolk. He's a, he's a psychiatrist. But it is. It's about not just your body but your brain remembering and, and trying to protect you. This is the thing about pain is that pain is a protective function. It's, mm. it's, it's like an alarm. It has its place. We don't want to get rid of pain because then we'd have other problems. Pain has its place, but we're talking about a pain that has become overprotective, an alarm that is going off for less obvious reasons, and, and, and it's starting to overwhelm the person's capacity okay. and their function. Yeah, yeah. functioning. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So that's what that's what this is for. This is not awesome, necessarily eh? for people who've just mm. fractured a bone and yeah. three months later they they're still in pain. This is for people where um, pain has overwhelmed them. It's it's um, less um, easy to understand and it's uh, starting to take over their life. Yeah, and you can. That the promise in the sense of this book or the hope of, of my book is that there is so much you can do. Uh, you, the person with pain, can begin to use mm. daily habits and strategies to get ahead of this, to get beyond this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Have you found there being have you found that there's been an uptick in people with chronic pain from, you know, say two or three years ago because I, I know yeah, we, you, I you mentioned we've mm. we're a traumatized nation mm, mm, and mm. I think in particularly in KZN2 we've had right. you know the whole we've had the COVID response and the COVID this and we've had uh, the rioting we've had the flooding and all of those have been left unresolved yeah yeah have you found there's maybe not a direct correlation or have you found that there's maybe a related connection there so I unfortunately don't have sort of stats at mm. my disposal, but I can say from sort of my clinical experience that, uh, yes, we are seeing more persistent pain coming through. Um, so some of that is long COVID, which is a reality. Um, it is a very real condition that millions of people across the world are suffering mm. from. So there's long COVID, but yes, for KZN, I've noticed, for example, that people coming to me for a consult and we start talking about their history, the people in KZN have divided time between pre-COVID, COVID, yeah. the riots, yeah. the floods, and now. Yeah, it's like four time zones. Yeah, and, <laughs> and as soon as someone starts dividing the history into clear time zones with these clear markers, I know that's a traumatized person. Yeah. Which is the majority of us. It is, yeah. it is. We, we, we all traumatized to some extent. And look, I'm not someone who uses the word trauma or traumatized 
easily. I, mm. I, I kind of find it irritating when we call everything traumatic. Um, but what trauma really is 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 a is a sort of unexpected and overwhelming experience for someone that they don't feel they have the capacity to cope with, to mm. sort of meet the demand of that experience. That's that's trauma, and I think for a lot of us that's that's been the reality. Mm. So KZNers, um, I think, have experienced trauma, and it's going to come through in pain. Yeah. It's also going to come through in fatigue and in depression and other mental illness because that's how our bodies and brains work. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you, you're not safe or you have a problem or a challenge that you need to address. So I'm going to and get your attention. Mm. Mm. I'm going to get your attention with pain or fatigue or depression or whatever that alarm is that starts to go off. And then... So what happens then is that we just keep popping the pain pills and the meds right. to numb that. We might do and that. And we ne- mm. most likely never deal with actual issues. Right. And we come right. free. Yeah. yeah. And, and I really want people to know that, like I said earlier, there is so much you can do. Um, your body is, is more robust than you think. Mm. It has capacity to heal itself. Um, It is plastic. We talk about plasticity of the body and brain. But also you are probably more resilient than you think. And and you have social support to draw on. And you have these things that can help you deal with this. Pills and surgery might have their place. But often we are missing the... What, what we would call more active coping strategies for managing pain. And they're there. Yeah. There are daily things you can do that can change not just how you manage pain, but the way you live in your life. Yes. Beyond that. Yeah. So how I, I think self-awareness is such a, and this stems into this, it all comes out of that is that self-awareness is probably one of the most powerful tools and skills that we can develop i believe yeah Agreed. and mm. i mean you're i know what this is about a lot of it is going to be about self developing that self-awareness knowing yeah. where, where your boundaries are and how far you can push and then maybe pushing yourself a little bit further and mm. kind of pulling yourself mm. back again and mm. i think you know listening listening to other business influences so guys that I draw aspirational inspiration from guys like Gary Gary Vaynerchuk he's mm-hmm. prolific in the in the marketing world and he's I'm actually loving his a lot of his contents moving more towards or at least including a huge amount of self-awareness and mm. one of the things he says is which I completely agree is self-awareness is like one of the biggest superpowers you can ever develop Absolutely. because if mm-hmm. you cannot be aware of yourself you cannot be aware of others yes and if you are aware of yourself and what your strengths are what your weaknesses are what yeah. you can and cannot or should or should not work on that'll help you become a business a better person which will help you run your business better yeah. so saying that what are some like really practical helpful tips and advice that you would give to businesswomen and businessmen in developing that mm. um, developing mm. self-awareness developing that awareness of you yeah so that 
and maybe you can share a bit about how that impacts could impact your business life mm, mm, mm. so yeah I love that Luke I, I'm I totally agree that that self-awareness is probably the number one thing we need to develop and they're not the only thing. So for me, self-awareness is first and that allows you to then hopefully, because this is maybe the step we people miss, develop self-compassion. Self-compassion. Yeah. So self-awareness so, and understanding and then self-compassion. So you have to have, so you... Self-awareness is one thing, but mm. self-compassion is the next step. I would say so, okay. yeah, because you, you can understand yourself and then totally beat yourself up about the weaknesses you do see. Yes, okay. You know, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and, and spend your whole time trying to correct those. And, and um, I think you could end up down some some maybe self-destructive paths like that. So, so for me, um, absolutely self-awareness so important and then self-compassion to follow it but coming back to self-awareness um, I would say that especially in a in a role like mine where I am my number one therapeutic tool if we can call it that it is me interacting with someone it is through the filter of me my personality my own background that knowledge and sort of advice comes and I've got to be aware that that's happening so that's self-awareness mm. and I, I then need to make sure that I am you know, growing and developing as a person so that whatever knowledge and skills and, and experience that I acquire that I want to pass on to people is coming through a um, an appropriate and healthy filter I suppose mm. so my advice to people would be to um Know when you need to seek out help. Um, so I have at different times um, sought the, the help of counsellors, um, been to coaches, um, looked at ways of developing myself, sort of personal development. But all of that, again, with that, that sense of self-compassion. So, yes, I have limitations. I can do many things, but I can't do all things or everything, and that's where I need other people. Knowing when I need that, knowing when I need other people, and calling on them. Um, so yeah, I think constant um, constant reflection, which is not the same as introspection. So reflecting on ourselves and 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 looking at how we've handled situations or people, asking people for feedback, a very vulnerable thing to do. You know, tell yes. me, you know, tell me, Luke, how do you experience me? Mm. You know, and, and how how was this interaction for you? That is a difficult question to ask people. That is hard. But so we learn from others. We, we are mirrored in other people and we can learn from them. How, how am I coming across? And then we can change. So self-awareness with self-compassion hopefully leads to self-development but I think that's an intentional process not yeah. something happens yeah. just naturally without our effort or or, or attention to it mm. yeah so it's really interesting because that kind of bridges it bridges the point of self to community mm. because you cannot and whatever community looks like for you yeah you 
can't be truly self-aware without the feedback from others. Right. And you need to have those people around you that you can trust. Yeah. And that you can walk alongside with. And maybe it looks like going to a counseling. Maybe mm-hmm. it looks like therapy. Maybe mm-hmm. it looks like finding a group of people that have a common goal in self-improvement. Or yeah. whether it's online or offline or in person at depending on your context yeah and i really like how that plays into community and how important it is because i I think a lot of and just in my own experience it can be quite a lonely journey running and starting a business Mm. and i know for a lot of people out there they and it's something that i've been very aware of is how lonely people feel yeah and especially after the whole pandemic thing too because now everyone works remotely and that online connection is never the same Mm. and um that's on top of running your own business is just purely a lonely thing Mm. if we don't intentionally and deliberately choose to do it with other people right whether it looks like a business partner or just reaching out to your competitor and and establishing a friendship and a relationship or suppliers or whoever and whatever mm. Mm. And, th- and that's a brave thing to do I know, wow. it is yeah it, ver- it really is yeah but i think it's necessary yeah I, I think i think we are better together with other people yeah. we really are like i said earlier i i know that i can be a very independent person but but even this book um of which i am the author was not something i produced on my own mm. It reflects other people's input. It reflects the voice of people with pain who read it and who who gave me their, their sort of quotes. Um, and I think this book as well has, I've tried to bring that self-understanding in as well. You know, so there's, there's the science. So there's the science where we can try and generalize and say these are the things that apply to most people. But what people need to be able to do is personalize that and take it to themselves. Yeah. So hopefully self-understanding plus scientific knowledge plus social support. There's so many things that go into helping each of us progress mm-hmm. um, in the way that we do. And I think apart from self-awareness, um, the, the two qualities that I've tried to intentionally develop or foster or cultivate in myself are are curiosity and humility. Uh, Even in my children, um, from when they were little, curiosity was something that was important to develop in them, getting them to notice things. Mm -hmm. We walking along, um, you know, walking in the park. Ooh, have a look at that little flower. Mm -hmm. Um, Have a look at that. Noticing and then questioning. Um, and I think curiosity can help any of us in, in so many ways. It helps us overcome fear. Yeah. It helps us overcome disconnection. Because yeah. as soon as I'm curious about your life or as soon as I'm curious instead of afraid, yeah. I move towards something that I don't know about and the, the, the fear of the unknown goes away and I, I get involved with it. That's awesome. So curiosity, self-awareness, and then humility. Humility is um, such a big one. Just recognizing I don't know everything. I don't even know what I might know and don't know. Yeah. Um, that those are qualities that I would encourage any business person, any practitioner mm. to, to keep. 
Yeah. There's such a fine line between confidence and arrogance. Mm. And I'd actually be really interested to explore that a little bit mm. sometime. But mm. I think that's What do you think is the difference? I think we can be confident in something. We could be sure of something. Mm-hmm. But I think where humility plays such an important role is saying... I'm confident in this, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah. Or I could have the wrong approach. Or I'm confident in this based on my life experience and my filters and my my approach to how I've come about this. Mm. Mm. But mm. the humility part is being open. For me, the humility mm-hmm. part is being open to input from other people and self-awareness and yeah. being open to discussing something or yes. yeah. yeah so that's for me what, what would you say yeah, for you yeah. I, very much I think along the same lines for me you can have confidence with humility where you're just saying um, this is what I've come to right now but I am open to change yeah. and, and it is possible that I'm wrong um, so this is this is my stance right now based on my best assessment of whatever information I have or experience or whatever but please let me know your perspective let me know if I'm if I'm missing something Mm. I I don't have the whole picture and that's what none of us can ever have is the whole picture I need you to give me a piece of the picture that I don't have Um, so I think humility is the recognition that um, I, I have value I am someone of value and worth but I need others to to give their value and worth to my life as well. That's awesome. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So I have these cards. So it's a new little oh. installation on, uh, yeah. on the podcast. And you're gonna draw bef- a card and ask me a question. Yes. Ah. So <laughs> before we do that, I just want to yeah, thank you for your time and thank you for just the value that you bring I know not just to my life but to the lives of those around us oh, thank and, you Luke. Um, mm. yeah thank it's you for sharing yeah thank you for sharing here and adding value into the the space of our viewers and the community that we're building and um, yeah and I wish you all the best and I hope you sell millions and millions and millions <laughs> of copies of your book oh thank you and yeah it's such an honor and a privilege to be have have been and still be a part of your journey and part of your story and yeah thank Thanks, you so Luke. much yeah and for your support and your friendship <laughs> absolute pleasure thank you so I've got these cards from Stephen Barlett's The Diary of a CEO I don't know if you are aware of that podcast I'm not Amazing. but I think you've mentioned it <laughs> so there are a bunch of questions written on here and in light of that tradition on their podcast I thought well let's just carry it over here because I really like it so I'm going to pick a random card okay or maybe would you like to pick a random card all right I and feel like we're on a magic show this hey could be like, a shall magic I remember show? it and you try and guess it yeah can you make it disappear okay. cool okay let me read oh, it, give to, it you. to you. Okay. Okay. Oh, so maybe you can read it, read it mm. out and then you can give us the answer. Oh, wow. This is kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about, I okay. guess. Um, 
So, so the question is, how much do you accept yourself, have positive thoughts about yourself, have healed your wounds, and fully love who you are authentically? Wow. Gosh, there's a whole lot to that. Wow. We could have another whole hour. Um, how much do you accept yourself? Um, I think, yeah. Okay, have positive thoughts and healed your wounds. Okay. How cool is that that this came wow, up? Wow, yeah, that's along the lines of what we've been saying. I, I would say that I, uh, at this stage of my journey, obviously accept myself a whole lot more than I used to. I love turning 40. I know some women freak out about it, but I love turning 40 because turning 40 was like, okay, I am going to do what I want to do. I mean, everyone should do that anyway, but for me it was this thing of I've reached a sense of feeling settled in who I am, not static, but settled. Um, so so much more accepting of myself. Um, I do think I have a way to go in terms of healing wounds. I think those sort of things are maybe never completely done, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I think yeah. what I've accepted about my woundedness or weaknesses or whatever limitations there are, is that they aren't just things to be healed and sorted out and, oh, thank goodness I've, I've got that out my way and it's in the past. They are actually opportunities for connection um, yeah. and growth. Yeah. I mean, growth is obvious, but but I think connection as well. I know, it's my experience, that it is the most vulnerable parts of myself and the woundedness of me that touches people most. Mm. Most people know me as, as quite a competent person. I come across quite, I have a very good therapeutic mask um, because obviously my stuff is not to be brought into a session with someone, but there are certainly memorable moments when I have allowed that to drop and I've shared something vulnerable um, and those have been the most powerful. So for me, I would say I accept that I am imperfect. I accept that I have wounds that still need to be healed. And I'm not like, oh, yay, let's kind of go sort that out. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, yeah. that's like being a masochist. It's more that, okay, at the right time, yeah. that's going to be sorted out. But in the sorting out or the healing of that, it's actually going to go beyond me, and that is a powerful thing. That's awesome. You know, so, um, yeah. That's how you do it authentically. I think so. Yeah. It would be inauthentic to just try and get rid of our woundedness, yeah. um, eliminate it. Um, I think it is that that makes us most human and most yeah. compassionate awesome. um, for other people. Yeah. Good answer. Thank you. That was the right answer. <laughs> no, I think. I think. Yeah. I think it's difficult to answer questions straight out of a card pack, but I'm glad no, that it's linked to what we've said and yeah, um, cool. it's important. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Helen. Thank you, Luke. And where can people find you? People can find me via my website. Um, so helenroom.co.za. It's room with an E on the end. And if they want to order the book, it is on the Amazon platform. So international readers can find the ebook and paper book there. Mm-hmm. My local South African readers can order directly from my website, helenroom.co.za. Awesome. Thanks, And Luke. you are on the socials and on LinkedIn? I am on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. So you'll probably awesome. find me on any of those. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks so and much. And thanks to all our listeners and our viewers. And thank you for your time. 
would love to get any feedback from you guys on this episode and yeah if you found any of this really helpful and it's maybe struck a nerve in a good way or a bad way give us a like subscribe for more and leave a comment i'd love to hear from you so that we can yeah we can engage a little bit 